follow that, I think that's all we need this morning. <laughs> Everybody have a seat. Children will be dismissed. Coming with me.
or on Israel's calendar would have been what's called the Feast of Weeks, or as it's known, Shabbat. Now, it was originally a harvest festival, is what it was commanded. It was um, a festival to where they were celebrating, waiting for the harvest on the 50th day. Now, later in Israel's history, they moved also out of that into commemorating giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Because it was from, it was 50 days from the time of Passover in Egypt to the time the law was given to them on Mount Sinai. So it's changed to that. Shabbat is a Jewish holiday that commemorates the single most event in Israel's history, and today it is the giving of the Torah. Um, the first five books of the Bible to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now also, it is not that well known among non-Jews as what we call Passover or Sukkot, the Feast of Booths. Um, it is one of the major three festivals that the Israel celebrates. And, like I said, more than 3,000 years ago when they left Egypt and then to the time of Mount Sinai was 50 days. And Moses reminded So Shabbat is a culmination of those weeks in between there. And since Shabbat occurs every 50 days after the first Passover, that's where we get the name Pentecost. 50 days after the first Passover. So, and Jesus' followers, you know, they... That's what they celebrated. But what I want to talk about is the two holidays, Passover and Shabbat, are linked more than just the proximity of time. They've got a better link to that. Um, remember, the exodus from Egypt, which Passover celebrates, marked the beginning of a physical freedom for the Israelites, correct? They were in bondage. They were, they were slaves to Egypt. So at Passover, that's that physical release. They were released from Egypt. But notice, when they, as when they went to Mount Sinai, and when they, on the 50th day, they were given God's law. So that was a spiritual release to them. So that's, I want you to remember that back then, because when we get to Passover today, or the time of the Acts, we're going to see what that actually means. Remember, it was a physical release in Egypt, and to the time of the law, it was a spiritual release to them. The law was given to them. So today, what they would do here today, Jews do this. They study, they, they celebrate Shabbat by staying up the entire night, studying and learning the Torah. All night long, that's what they do. Um, and then today, after studying it, they will read the Ten Commandments, and the Jews will reaffirm their commitment to God onto the commandments of the law. Um, so that's a little bit of history on it. Now, they also would, back in the Feast of Harvest, for 49 days, they would collect up hay or grain for wheat bales. They'd tie them up, and they would take them to the, the temple every day during that week's, anticipating the harvest. And the reason they were doing that was when the harvest came on the 50th day, they would make their harvest, and they would give to the Lord what belonged to him on that day. So remember, it was a, it was a giving of the harvest to the Lord. Keep that in mind when we look at the Passover today. But before we get started, I do want to read. We're going to be in Acts 2. We're going to read through it real quick, and I'm going to start right in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, real quick, I'm going to stop there. If you go back a few verses, how many people know how many people were actually there? If you go back a few verses, it tells us that there was a there was 120 people. So how many people here thought it was just the 12 apostles in this room? Absolutely. And that's because we see that a lot. That's kind of what's taught to us, right? But if you back up a few verses, there's no reason in the Scripture, why would Scripture tell us there was 120 of them and then tell us only 12 were in the room? So we can, we can by, by Scripture, we can pretty much understand there was about 120 people there. Keep that in mind as we go on. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of, as, a, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, or cloven tongues, as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the coming of the day of Pentecost found all believers, remember, together in one place. And undoubtedly the same upper room that was being talked about in verse 113. Now, keep in mind, what we know from history is, a lot of us tend to believe that this was a little upper room of a house 
on the streets of Israel. Well, back then, I'm sorry, the streets were extremely small. And the crowds that they are talking about that came could not physically come into a house in Israel. So what we've studied, and I'm going to bring a map up, what we've studied is it's most likely that they were in the upper room, either by the, right by the temple or in a temple itself, because the courtyard would allow all the people to come in there. Um, but that's just a little side note. And it should be noted that the Spirit was not induced here into coming because the believers were praying or they, they, they prayed all night long or met certain spiritual conditions. Notice it did not get, they weren't praying in the Spirit. God caused the Spirit here to descend on them. I want you to keep that in mind. So it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Luke describes this sovereign event by taking us to the upper room where the believers were gathered, and suddenly there came a noise like a violent rushing wind. Luke's use here of the word suddenly, what does that emphasize to you? Unexpected, suddenly, out of the blue. They, they knew, they were told to go there because the Spirit, God said, I'm going to Christ, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. So they knew the season they were in, but it came unexpectedly. And I was thinking about that, I'm like, don't we know the season when Christ will return? But we don't know when he'll return, it's going to happen unexpectedly. Keep that in mind. So they're in this room, and all of a sudden, this, this like a wind comes. This was not a weather happening. This was something unexpected, like a violent, rushing wind. This is not something you would see outside when the trees were blowing. Now, even though, like I said, they knew it was coming, it was a surprise to them. Yet, they gathered in the upper room. They could not, I look at this, I read this, they could not have expected this kind of dramatic appearing in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't think they could have expected that. It, uh, by describing the noise as emanating from heaven, Luke here emphasizes that it was a supernatural action. It wasn't nothing that man could have done. It was supernatural. Now, like I said, this was not like a weather phenomenon. This was a physical, violent rushing wind. Because it surprised them. See, if it was just a wind blowing through, it wouldn't surprise them. They're used to storms and wind. So this wind had to be something that was so powerful and violent that it surprised them. And they didn't know what was coming. Now, the supernatural activity of God is so utterly beyond the grasp of our mind. It is. When I sit back and I think about things, the supernatural things that God is able to do in our lives is beyond what we can even think of. We can even comprehend, we can even understand. So that's why we're going to go into this. But I want you to know this. In the both Hebrew and Greek, the word wind is used for spirit, and it's also used for wind. So keep that in mind. Verse 2 3. Oh, I do want to say something. In this, it says they were sitting. It says that everyone was sitting, waiting for this to happen. Now, Jewish tradition again says this. When they're praying, they're not sitting. How many people know how they prayed back then? They were either, absolutely, they were either on their knees with their hands up, or they were prostrate, or they were face down. They would never be sitting in a chair and pray. So that's another indication that they did not pray this Holy Spirit in, that God sent this Spirit. It wasn't nothing the believers did. And it says, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So after this auditory manifestation of the wind, there appeared to be tongues as a fire. So now we get... A flame. Now, these weren't literal flames, just like it wasn't literal wind. But it was powerful, and they're using words to describe what it was. They're unexpected. They're surprised. Now, pull up the... I want you to look at this map. This is the Pentecostal map from back then. Right here in the middle is where they would have been for Pentecost. Okay? Every country you see came here on that day. Why? These were all Jewish people, believers, that were scattered out through. But they all came to the temple because it was a required, a required celebration, a required feast of weeks that they all attend. So God planned this, this is the amazing part, when Pentecost was going to happen, to pour out the Spirit, 
when they had the opportunity to reach the most people. Can you imagine how many people actually descended on Judea for this? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's, it's a massive amount of people. And so let's talk about a few things. Some people link right here the word fire to the fire that was in Matthew 3.11. You know, the one that comes after me will baptize you with water and the fire. A lot of people try to link those together, but that is incorrect. The fire in Matthew is not a fire you want. The fire in Matthew that Christ is speaking of is the fire of judgment. See, he says, first he'll baptize you with water and then with fire. If you read the word fire there in the original language, that fire means purification, a cleaning, a judgment kind of fire. So they don't, they're not the same fire. And we'll, we'll talk about that one day when we're in Matthew. But being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, we must distinguish this separately from being baptized with the Spirit. We must separate this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Being filled with the Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Spirit. It is not the same. Okay, we're going to talk about that here. Although a lot of people wrongly view baptism of the Spirit as initial, like some kind of initial initiation into great spiritual ranks of Christianity, that is an error, okay? It is for everyone. There is no, we are not in any different level with Christ or with God than I am. Amen. Believe me. You guys are, you have the same access, the same privileges that I have. I have no spiritual greatness in me. It's not because I've received some kind of great gift and I'm closer to God because that is incorrect. Come on, Pastor. Come on. This will get me fired up because I'll tell you this right now. I do not like it when somebody crushes the life of a Christian who want to be close to God. Amen. And I will stand up and say it every single time. We're going to break this down word by word because I want everybody to see this. So we're going to go back to the scripture. We're going to look at the word clothing. Um, the word clothing in the Greek is the word diamazido. You can do the next slide for me because I have one. Oh, this, oh, yeah, we'll talk about that next. Uh, keep that right there for me. But I want to talk about clothing real quick. The word diamazido means this. To diamazido means to distribute or divide. Clover. Does that not make sense? What does a cow have when we talk about their hooves? That's right. Divided. Okay, so the word means to distribute or divide. And then the next word in that sentence is tongues. That word is glasa, which means a language not naturally learned. So what I mean by that is, it means it was a language, they were speaking a foreign language that they had previously not known. And the next word is going to change some things on this too. The next word, fire, in Greek is pure here, her, pure, I love that, but it means like lightning. It doesn't mean literal fire, it means like lightning. So it kind of makes sense, right? A violent rushing wind, and they see what looks like fire coming on them because it was like lightning coming down on them. Kind of make, that makes sense, it fits right in there. But the next word I want to talk about is filled. This is the word haletho. And it means influence, supply, or furnish. Influence, supply, or furnish. And the last word we're going to talk about is utterance in that scripture. And that literally means it is the word, it's a big word, it's apathomehei. And it means to enunciate, to enunciate perfectly. To enunciate perfectly. So let's look at that again. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, divided. Makes sense, right? To a lot of people. Like as of lightning, and it set upon each of them. And they were influenced with the Holy Ghost and began to speak a language not known to them, 
with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the power to enunciate it. That's right. This is not saying that they jumped out of here and started speaking some wacky gibberish. That's right. All right? It means, because if you read the next verse, it said everyone understood them in their own language. That's right. Now, this verse, this scripture is used to make you, to, to teach that we need to seek this. We need to always be praying for this gift. This is the focus of what we are to reach our Christian peak or whatever we want to call it. But scripture does not say that. Scripture says this was an act of God, a supernatural, powerful act, and we should be given the glory of God for this and not be asking for something. We're focusing on a gift instead of the one who sent it. But we're going to keep going. Go back to the Azusa Street Revival. How many people know what that is? Okay, we've got a few. We've got a few. The Azusa Street Revival. Prior to 1906, the teaching of tongues was unknown. Unknown. Some of the great, great studiers of the Bible never mentioned it. Spurgeon never talked about it. Edwards never talked about it. I could give a list of on and on and on. Never talked about it. But in 1906, a, uh, a preacher named Charles Park, he was uh, one of the early proponents of most Pentecostal movements back then. Now, I'm going to get into some stuff here. It, it, some people here might become offended of what we're going to talk about, but I understand I'm teaching history here. I don't mean to offend, but I speak truth. I won't bend what I know from Scripture just to make somebody happy. Amen. Okay? Parham started a school in Topeka, Kansas, and one of his students was a preacher named William Seymour. Now, in 1906, Seymour, he had been pastoring in Houston for a little while. He was a, he was a, he was a pastor, and he passed around. He was not schooled really well. Um, I, don't, I fully believe God can call somebody to preach the Word of God, and they don't need a, one spot of schooling. I fully believe that. Okay? Amen. But just to give you an idea... Seymour wasn't that educated in Scripture. I'll just put it that way. But he preached, and he knew what he was doing. But he preached Parham's doctrine that speaking in tongues was evidence of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life. You hear what they said? He taught that it was evidence in a Christian's life. Okay? We're going to talk about that. But here's what happened. He was going around preaching all this, William Seymour, and he was thrown out of all of the churches. He was banned from preaching in the churches in that area because no one, no one would allow that teaching to be in their churches. No one. So what did he do? He goes back to his house, and he starts a small little group in his house, and he starts preaching this doctrine in his house, and uh, within a few weeks, I would say, you know, various members came to listen to this and join. Shortly after, they relocated to another home. And a few weeks later, members of the group began to speak in tongues. Now, the speaking in tongues here was not a literal language. It wasn't. There was no language to this. But they began doing this. And in less than four months of arriving there, he was preaching to crowds, probably three or four thousand and he got so big that they had to go run a place. So they were in this building back then. It's not, it looks run down, but back then it's a normal building. And it was, and they call, it was on Azusa Street. And he was, he was the founder of the apostolic faith. Okay? And it was on Azusa Street Revival. Well, I want to read some things. These are some quotes from actual, actual people who were here at the time. And they had written in this apostolic journal the experiences that they had while they were there. And here's what they said. Those who participated in the Azusa Street Revival had this to say. The audience was carried away into ecstasy. Emotions mounted higher and higher, and the glory of God settled on Azusa Street. The fire fell, and God sanctified me. The power of God went through me like thousands of needles. The power of God descended upon me, and I went down under it. I have no language to describe what took place, but it was wonderful. It seemed to me that my body had suddenly become porous, and the current of electricity was being turned on me from all sides. For two hours, I lay on the floor under the mighty power without to move. 
Someone might be speaking, and suddenly the Spirit fell upon the congregation. God himself came to the altar and did the altar call. <coughs> Men would fall all over the house like slain in battle, or rush for the altar to seek God. The scene resembled a fallen forest being cut down to people. How does that sound? Awesome. I will say this. They were seeking, not God. They were basing everything they were doing off of some external experience. They were seeking the ecstasy, as they put it, of this great euphoria. Why? Because it was about them. They were not yep. looking for God. When we place a gift before God, it is not a gift given by God because it's an idol. That's right. Remember that. Yes, God gives. The Spirit gives gifts as needed and distributes them to edify the church. Absolutely, the, the Holy Spirit will power, can influence us, can power us, can give us things to do things we never thought we could do. Mm -hmm. But the gift is always God honoring, not person honoring. Yeah. That's right. And that's why this turned into a very dangerous doctrine. This became something, and it blew up crazily, became huge. Most and all, and let me say this, I know some Pentecostal pastors, I love them, they're friends, they're great people, but most trace their roots to this. This is where they all came from, there's many spins out there. This was a, unfortunately, the emphasis here on tongues as the only evidence right. of being a Christian yeah. is error. That's right. Right, I agree. Yeah. And why it's error is, and I'll say this again, is it because it's because I have I can speak in tongues, but you can't. You're not close enough to God yet. Maybe you don't have enough faith. That's a tiered Christian level. It destroys a Christian, and it is wrong. Yeah, yep, that's, that's right. right. That's right. Now let's look at what Pentecost really is. See, the significance of the Spirit being poured out on the believers at Pentecost. Remember what we talked about back in the beginning? How originally Pentecost was a harvest festival where they would go out and take all these net, these things and bring them in for 49 days, and on the 50th day they would harvest and they would give that to God. The significance of the Holy Spirit being poured out is that by virtue, we are all in union with Christ, correct? Mm -hmm. Therefore, we are the first fruits offered to God by the yeah. Holy Spirit. Come on. Think about it. When the Holy Spirit came to them on Pentecost, what is the next thing that happened? How many people were saved and added to the church? Thousands. Yeah. Thousands. They were the first fruits offered to Amen. God by the Holy Spirit. That is what that is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. That is the beauty of Pentecost. Not Pentecost isn't something where I need to seek a gift. It is the blessing given to me to give God my harvest, his first fruits of why I'm a Christian. Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit did. And we're going to go deeper into that. So I want to look as Peter goes through here. I want you guys to turn to Joel, chapter 2. We're going to look at 28 through 32 because this is what Peter is going to preach from. <clears throat> this is powerful. And he starts off, I'll let everybody get there for a minute. I'll have a glass of water. Joel 2, verse 28 says this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in heaven and in earth. Most people want this. That's where they stop. That's where they stop right there. That's, that's, they use that right there. They don't continue. They stop. Because it continues. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant of God whom the Lord shall call. Prophecy. This is prophecy. Okay? And for those who haven't been here, prophecy, there is a thing to this. We call it mountain peaks. It makes it easy for us to think about it. When a prophet would look out, he would see the peaks. Let's call them the mountain peaks. But if I look across a mountain peak and they're the same size, what do I see? 
one peak, right? I see one peak. A lot of times in prophecy, there was two peaks, they couldn't see the valley in the middle. Most of the time, the valley in the middle would be what we call the church age. That's what we're seeing here. There is two separate prophecies in this prophecy. The first one is, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and upon the servants. After 29, after verse 29, the prophecy halts. We get a second prophecy. And the second prophecy is, and I will show wonders in heaven and earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. What he's talking about here, the first prophecy is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then we have this church age, and the second prophecy, I'm sorry, but it's the revelation of the time for judgment. Because look at what he says clearly. The only time in Scripture when it's listed as the great and terrible day of the Lord is speaking of revelational times. Okay? So two prophecies in one. And that happens a lot in prophecy. But the reason I wanted to bring that up is let's look at some of the words. Uh, do I, I think I have that slide. If not, I'll talk to Many people take this scripture that Peter quoted and they like to use it to again focus on a gift. And they want to put all the focus on a gift. You know, they, they will... They will prophesy, will dream dreams, and we should, I should have this, and if I don't have this, I'm not close enough to God, yet I've got to do something else. Well, let's break these words down in the actual language. The word prophecy in the Hebrew, in this place, is a word that is not used that often in Scripture. It is the word nabat. Guess what it means? It means to sing or speak by inspiration. It doesn't mean that I'm going to give you future events. I'm not going to tell the future. I'm going to speak inspired by the Spirit. A pastor does this when he's teaching. You do this when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. You do this when you're sharing your testimony with somebody. Prophecy. You are speaking by influence of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. The next word, dream. That word is kalam. And it doesn't mean what you think it does. <laughs> the word means to bind firmly. That is to be made plump. Well, you're like, what? <laughs> dream. Dream. The word in Hebrew means to bind, to be made plump. Everybody's looking at me like, what does that have to do with <laughs> We'll get there. I want to talk about the next word, shall see. Simple Hebrew word, that's ra'ah. And it means, well, before I tell you, it means, if I tell you we shall see something, what does that mean to you? You're like, I'm going to see this, right? We're going to go look at something, right? So that's what we think when we read that scripture. Shall see, and we hear that, oh, they're going to see some great things, or they're going to see this. And I'll go back and read where that's at because, you know, I read that too the first time. It says, your young men shall see visions. So we read that and we're like, oh, they're going to see some stuff. They're going to see some visions. The word shall see, Ramah, means to advise oneself to concern, discern, or consider. To advise oneself to discern or consider. So, that's interesting. We're going to put all this together. And the last word I'm going to talk about here is the word visions. And that's the word kizayon in Hebrew. It just means by revelation. By revelation. So let's go back to that. Let's put it in English now. So it says, And it shall come to pass that I will pour my spirit upon the flesh, and your sons and daughters shall speak by inspiration. Your old men shall be binded firmly and made fat by that inspiration, and young men shall speak with revelation. Does that sound, that doesn't sound like anything crazy. Does it? That doesn't mean that I'm going to all of a sudden have this new revelation from God that's not inside this Bible, and that's I'm going right. to give it to you because Come God on. told me to say it. Come on. That's, that's not right. what that means. Because I'm going to tell you this right now, if you're speaking something today that God has told you and it's not in here, you've got issues. Right. Right. And there's so many people out there today that say they have a word from God, and they will claim this word that this is, but it doesn't match with Scripture. 
What happened to a prophet who said that it didn't match? They got stoned. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if we held that same standard today, how many people would stand up here and be prophesied? Mm. I don't think there'd be very many of them. Not, I am not saying that God cannot speak through us to give somebody something in their life that they need. That's right. It's not what I'm saying. That's right. Amen. I'm saying that we are there, we are not, I am not to stand up here and tell you something that I think God has told me about the future. That has nothing to do with the Word of God. It doesn't line right, up with it. Right. Right. You know what happens when we do that? Doctrine becomes dangerous. We become letting things... Things are allowed to come into churches that should never have been inside this church. That's right. Why? Because I'm more concerned about putting somebody's butt in my seat than I'm more concerned about giving you the Word of God. Mm, preach it, Pastor. Not me. I, the Word of God is what I preach. And Pentecost is beautiful. It should not be more like this. Let's talk about it a little more. So I want to look at another scripture concerning the Spirit real quick. We're going to go to Acts 10. Because this scripture is used to say, look, we can have Pentecostal events again. We can have them all the time. We just got to seek them. Acts 10, verse 44. And this is one that's used for that. Look at this, we can have Pentecostal all the time. It says, oh, I still repeat, I love, by the way, I love that sound. Isn't that great? I love that sound. I know people have told them before, I know some of you have tablets that have it on her, but you got to find an app that like, when you turn the page, it makes a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to read this. Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them who heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and prayed they him to tarry certain days. Many have claimed that this is proof that we can have another Pentecost-like event. That we should be seeking this type of event in our Christian walk. However, as we go through Scripture here, this is incorrect theology. It is incorrect theology because we're putting something again before God. Okay? The word fell here, now we have to go to the Greek, the word fell here is epipto, which is a simple word. So when it says the Holy Spirit fell on him, the definition of that word means to embrace. Well, isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? Mm -hmm. Is he not our comforter, along with our convictor? It says here that the Holy Spirit fell on him. The Holy Spirit literally embraced them. Is that not what happens when, to every single one of us when we come to Christ? Yes. Mm -hmm. The first thing that happens after that, after we... We repent and we ask for saving. We ask Christ to come into our lives. The very first thing, next thing that happens is the Holy Spirit embraces us. That's what it says here. So it says the Holy Spirit embraces them. The next word is speak, and we know what that is. It means to talk or sing by influence. But the word magnify in this sentence is magaleno. And it means to make or declare. Make or declare. So if you look here at magnify, and it says... And at, when this, the Holy Ghost embraced on all of them which heard the word, is that not how it works, right? So before, us, before we are saved and the Holy Spirit comes in our lives, what is Scripture to us? It's words. nothing, right? It's just words. It doesn't mean anything. When, I'm not, when I wasn't saved, of course I had a Bible in my, in my desk drawer. Everybody did, right? I had a Bible down. I'd go to a hotel. There's a Gideon in there. But you know what? It was just words. Didn't mean anything, and I can promise you I probably never opened it. But when God came into my life and I accepted what Christ did on the cross, the Holy Spirit embraced me, and that book came alive. Amen. And I understood what was in that book, even though prior to that I had never read it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of Pentecost, and we're going to add that together. But here, you know, the word glory means to declare. So when it says, when, when the Holy Ghost fell on them and embraced them, you know, the circumcision, the Jewish people, which believed also, they were astonished because back in that time, remember, they, they were Jewish. God is, we're the only ones. We're Israel. 
And now they're seeing the Gentiles, as it says, they've got the Holy Spirit just like we did. So now you're understanding that it's about a body. It's not about a separation. See, that's the Holy Spirit coming into your life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for union, not division. So if, if somebody is claiming that I have to seek a gift because I don't have it, I'm not as close to Christ as you are, that is dividing. That's and the right. Holy Spirit does not divide and unify. That's, That's right. right. Come on. So many have made a claim that this verse is another Pentecostal experience, so I'll tell you right now. That's not a Pentecostal experience you're talking about right there. They're talking about a conversion experience right there. That's a conversion experience. It happens to everyone today. Some point, every one of us were converted, and that same experience happened to us. The Holy Spirit embraced us, taught us, and we glorified God because of it. We declared that we are His. So it happens to everybody. It's not a Pentecostal experience here, as some claim. It's a conversion experience. And yes, that happens every day. And that's what we want to happen. That's what it keeps going on. One more to look at is Acts 19. I'm staying in Acts because these are the ones they use. Acts 19.1, it says this, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake, spoke with tongues and prophesied. This is a scripture that has been twisted through our time. Yes. Terribly. Yes. Terribly. This scripture has been used to say, to back up the doctrine, that if you don't speak in tongues, you are not as close to God as I am. Because they said here, look, there's two baptisms. There is two baptisms here. But I'm going to explain to you something. This is exactly the same thing that happens every day in our life. Let me ask you this. When they were being baptized by John in the Jordan, was Christ dead yet? Nope. Did he die on the cross? Did he raise from the grave? Nope. Okay, so how could they be baptized into the name of the Jesus Christ if he hadn't been crucified? Right. So what were they baptized in? They were baptism of repentance only, which was tradition. Baptized in repentance. And then John said, believe on the one who will come after me. So Paul meets up with them. Hey, how are you guys doing? You know about the Holy Spirit? No, what is that? Oh, well, how are you baptized? I was baptized by John. Paul instantly goes, but didn't he say to believe on the one who comes after me? They believed. Then they were baptized. That is a conversion baptism. It has nothing to do with two different kinds of baptisms. It doesn't show that we can be baptized in the Spirit over and over and over again. Ladies and gentlemen, one baptism, many fillings. Amen. One baptism, many fillings. We can only receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit once. When you're converted, you have as much as the Holy Spirit in your body, your That's right. Amen. And I'm going to say this. Does he have all of you is the question. Come on, Pastor. So let's keep going. <laughs> See, verse 4 here indicates, like I said, no belief in Christ because he hadn't died yet. Verse 5 indicates they made a confession now on that belief, and they were baptized into that belief. And verse 6 is the result of being converted in Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit as all believers receive. Am I being clear? You are, yes. Is the point you're going to here? Pentecost. What is the result of the Pentecost event? The result is this. The Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now being poured out on believers. The result was a boldness to preach the gospel. Is that not what we did? Yes. 
Because before, I'm telling you, before we were saved, are you going to preach the gospel? No, because no, you don't okay. know it. So the result of the Spirit is we pretty boldness to preach the gospel. Opening of the eyes to Scripture. Is that not what happens to us? Salvation. Yes. Self becomes low. Christ rises. Fellowship and Christ-likeness. If you read Acts 2 all the way through, you see every single one of these. What you don't see is them telling you to go to a room and get on your knees and pray that you get some tongues because until you get it, you're not saved. That's right. That's right. There is everybody's gift in the body of the church is different. God, the Spirit, divvies the gifts as necessary to edify the church. The beauty of Pentecost. So what was it? It was a gift that was promised and delivered. It was the beginning of the church. It was the spreading of the gospel. Remember that map? And most importantly, it was the offering of the first fruits of the church that the Holy Spirit presented to God. That's Pentecost. That's Pentecost. Pentecost is not something about seeking a gift. Pentecost is not about some supernatural power that I've received. Pentecost is about God supernaturally pouring the Spirit out onto his believers and blowing up the gospel. Woo! Amen. <laughs> That's Pentecost. And when someone tells you that you are not where you need to be because you don't have some gift, then maybe they need to sit down with you and actually read the scriptures. Okay? I don't ever want anybody to walk out here and think that they are not good enough, they are not close enough, or they are not a good enough person to be close to God because we've already been working on Romans and Paul said none of us are good enough to even be there. That's right. Okay? So that doesn't even make sense to me. Everybody has the same access to God. Everybody has the same access to God's glory. Everybody has the same access to His blessings and everybody has the same access to the Spirit pouring out a gift. And it has nothing to do with your level of Christianity. And it breaks my heart when I see that because you know why? When there's this level of Christianity, there is a Christian who is being crushed. Amen. That's right. Hurt, and their hearts yep. being broke. Yep. And they get afraid of the church. It's not the gospel they're afraid of. It's the message that they're teaching. Yeah. That's right. That's because you right. know what? I haven't seen too many people who have said no to Jesus. I've seen too many people say no to your church. That's right. And why? Because of the doctrine they teach. Pentecost, the truth of Pentecost is beauty. The truth of Pentecost is God delivering his promise and the Holy Spirit pouring out the offering to yes. God. Yes, yes. That's the truth of Pentecost. Amen. And I really, I could have went so much deeper on this, and there are some things that we'll talk about later. We will get into Matthew. When we finish the Roman series, I'll get a few of the other places pretty deep. But I love everybody here. And I've told everybody before when I stand up here, you, I am no different than you are. I sin just as much as the next person does. Matter of fact, sometimes I probably sin more than you do. But I know, I know my Father, and I know He forgives me, and I, and I know that I recognize that sin, And but we are the same. I have the same access to God. You have the same access to God. You know what really blows my mind is sometimes when you ask for forgiveness, you, you don't have to go to anybody to ask for forgiveness. Right. You can do it yourself, right? You can go right to God and ask for forgiveness. So if that's the case, but I don't speak tongues, I'm not good enough. He's not going to hear me, right? He's not going to hear me. I don't, have to, I don't have the gift. I'm not there yet. Keep that in mind. We all have access to God, the same access. So I'm going to close on that because there's so much more I want to say about that. But what I wanted to say about Pentecost is one thing. Pentecost, remember this in your mind, is just the, is the beauty of it is we are the offering first fruit being handed to God as a sacrifice. In our lives, when we get the Spirit, the very first thing we want to do is go out and preach the gospel, right? We want to talk to people. Remember when you first got saved? You remember that? You know how fired up you were when you left the altar? You were like, I'm going to go tell everybody. Amen. I'm going to go see my neighbor. I'm going to talk to my mom. I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to do all this. Well, as we go through time, how many times have you done that lately? That's what I'm talking about. There's one baptism, but I'll tell you this. If you need the Holy Spirit to fill you and energize you 
and push you, absolutely we can pray for God to give us that power to do what needs to be done. Because without it, we're not doing it. That's right. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm not doing it. That's right. I'm telling you right now, without the Holy Spirit, I'm doing what I want to do, not what He wants me to do. That's right. So that's what I mean. One baptism, many fillings. We don't have to seek for some special, supernatural level. Remember, we have all of the Holy that's Spirit right. we're ever going to get. And it's a blessing. And on that note, I'm going to pray. Father, we come just humbly and boldly before your throne, Lord. Lord, we, I, I pray as, as we spoke about Pentecost today, Lord, that, that those who needed to hear the message, that it came clearly from my lips, Lord, that it sits on their ears and rests in their hearts. Lord, I know there's much dissension and different teachings and so many different theologies coming out of your word, Lord, but I pray that the message that was given today just comes directly from your word, Father. No preaching of my own beliefs, preaching of only the word. Lord, we are so thankful that we can gather today. It is such a, it's such a glory to glorify you. It's an honor. It's a privilege to be in your house, Father. And I ask that as everybody goes out today that you put your hand on them, Lord, and you watch over them. And, and you, I ask the Spirit fills them so they can go out and they can give those first fruits to you, Father. Lord, we are humbled and honored. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Pastor, would I be too out of turn if I said so? No, no, go ahead. Um, Pastor and Marcy know, know where I come from a little bit. Powerful, powerful belief in the church. But starting from day one, I was radically saved, but I got other some people that said, you don't have the power. If you don't speak in tongues, you're still dwelt by the Holy Spirit. But you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. And then I tore this Bible apart and I couldn't find that. So for years and years, I've been like called a church hopper. And that's been under some amazing teaching that doesn't squelch, you know, squelch the gifts. I've seen healings, I've seen them, but I can't find, I saw it on a church billboard as evidenced by speaking in tongues, and I was like, for years as a Christian, I was like, well, then I don't have the Holy Spirit because I pray for it, I beg for it, I go to all these places to get it, and it, didn't, it just wouldn't work, and I'd say, God, why can't I have this? I'm supposed to ask for this. And one night driving home, this pastor taught sound. And he was in the church that had the billboard that said as evidence. And coming home, I started praying. I know the difference now. Like praying in the spirit, the wordless groans didn't have human words to say. So I was just like, God, this, I felt the Holy Spirit. But I wasn't speaking Mandarin or anything, you know, but like he was to teach. And I kept for years, I was like, why am I not fitting in anywhere? They either they either quote the Holy Spirit so bad that they don't even believe that God's I've heard it, they don't even believe God still heals, to the point where I'm sitting under some amazing teaching I was. Now, but he'll stand right there and tell the body. If you don't get the gift of speaking in tongues. You'll get there when you have this gift. And he teaches these people this. And I'm like, I don't even understand. Because what I read was speaking in tongues was so that all the different languages could understand. That's all that is. And I was scared to come here today because I love these guys so much. But I was so afraid that you were going to be under that teaching if you're just going to, you know, all the gifts, you know. I was so afraid what you were going to say about prophecy, and that's what I read. But the pastors think I'm a nutcase. Prophecy is on June 14th. God's going to do this or that. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to tell you guys, this church and this teaching is what I have been seeking, and what so many are seeking that we can't find. And I want to thank everybody here has been so friendly. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the truth. 